When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Calamity for Conte on his return to Stamford Bridge last night. Spurs a shambles against Chelsea in the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final. Do the Blues have one foot at Wembley already or can Tottenham turn the tables in the second leg? As for the other semi, Liverpool versus Arsenal, that game has been postponed due to positive coronavirus cases in the Liverpool camp. Plus, Mane and Salah have left for the Africa Cup of Nations, leaving the Reds depleted. This isn't the first game called off due to Covid and it certainly won't be the last, but the decision to cancel this one tonight has ruffled a few feathers. We'll explain why shortly. Plus, Kieran Trippier has joined the tune. Newcastle United are set to announce the England international's arrival imminently as he becomes the first signing of a new era at St James's Park. And from one set of black and white stripes to another, Juventus player Aaron Ramsey is said to be back on his way to the Premier League. We'll discuss exactly which top flight club had an offer rejected for the ex-Arsenal man this week. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast keeping you up to date with the English top flight every day of the season. Hit subscribe now and that way you won't miss an episode again. My name's Niall McCorn and with me on today's show, we've got Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Hello, lads. You all right? I'm very, very well. And we've also what got... is that clattering in the background? We've also got Joel Tudor, I think, just falling off his chair. All right, Joel. Sorry, I'm trying to put my charger in and I've just been <laughs> stood on the plug. <laughs> <laughs> that is some of the worst type of pain you can ever feel, uh, aside from standing on Lego. Unless you're a Newcastle fan. <laughs> Whoa. Shots fired early on. Come on, Joel. If that, if that pain lasts 14, years then then talk to me <laughs> that's good from you Marley I enjoyed that um, let's talk about tonight's action or lack thereof because it's supposed to be the Carabao Cup semi-final first leg between Liverpool and Arsenal this evening that game has been postponed due to rising Covid cases 
at Liverpool. And it's not the only thing that's been rising. There's been a few eyebrows uh, raised as well regarding this decision. Can you see why, Marley? Because we've seen a number of games called off due to coronavirus, not just this season, but last season as well. It's still an issue which is affecting elite sport, and understandably so. As I mentioned in the intro, this won't be the last game that gets cancelled due to COVID-19. But for some reason, this particular game seems to have annoyed a few. Can you see why? Can you explain why, perhaps? <laughs> uh, I'll try without sort of winding up any, any Liverpool fans, but um, <laughs> it, it, I think it's only going down like this like with a bit of ridicule from other fan bases because Liverpool have been so uh, not bothered about cups um, in the past you know everyone remembers last year when they um, when Villa played them and had to field their 14 or 16 debuts in the game because they had no one no one available um, we all remember when Liverpool went off to the Club World Cup and, and sent a sort of split the squad in two and left all the, the sort of uh, the younger lads and the distant reserves back for a cup game as well. Um, so it's just, I think it's just that, that's sort of, it's, I think most of the, the criticism that's been flying around on social media in the last, um, the last day or so has been probably 80% like just jest, just a bit of, just a bit of banter between sort of fans, but I think a lot of Liverpool fans are, are not taking it well because they're, they're historically a fan base that does not take um, jokes very well against their club because they're like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it. And that is right, everyone else is doing it. So when you when you sort of break down what they're angry about, like the postponement is, is legit. It's, you know, they've they've got an outbreak just like six or seven other clubs have at the minute and most of everyone, every other club in the league has pretty much had an outbreak at some point over the last... Two, two or three months so when it comes down to it it's like the brass tacks are that this game should be postponed and, and it has been so everything's fine but it's uh it's just one of them things where you you sort of you you poke you poke fun at liverpool a little bit and then they all turn around and, and attack you on social media because you're like they're like oh you can't no everyone else is doing it and it's like well yeah but everyone gets joked about like southampton fans have been joking at newcastle for uh, two weeks that our postponed game Newcastle shouldn't be allowed to use their players that we signed in January to to use in the in the rearranged game. Like it's all just a bit of fun. It's not it's not real. Like it's not they're not really suggesting that. Well, some are actually, but they're not really suggesting that because it's never really going to happen. So it's similar with Liverpool, but I feel like the the fans are, are sometimes taking it a bit too seriously and blowing it a bit out of proportion. Can you understand why some fans are a bit annoyed? I think Aston Villa did a tweet yesterday, didn't they, um, about the amount of youth players they had to play in an FA Cup game a year ago um, due to coronavirus cases. So is it one of those where you kind of have to take it with a, with a pinch of salt because it's inevitable that you know managers and players are going to end up picking up COVID at some point? I mean, Sean Dyche is the latest who will be missing his team's FA Cup game against Huddersfield at the weekend because he's just returned a positive COVID test so it, it almost feels a case of Liverpool were quite keen to not bend the rules in their favour but manipulate the rules I guess in a way but wouldn't every club do that do you think Joel wouldn't every club try and find the minute advantages because it is elite sport and that one percent can make a huge difference yeah, I mean, I think we discussed this when it started to all break out and at, at the start it seemed like it was very genuine and I'm not saying that this I'm not saying that this wasn't isn't a genuine case for postponement but 
we started to discuss whether clubs are starting to take a bit of a liberty about it in terms of if they have players who are injured, then they kind of mould it into the COVID absentees and the, they're able to then get an, um, a postponement out of it. I do think in this situation it is correct, I'm sure, well, considering the fact that, you know, uh, Klopp's been missing for the last couple of games and then the assistant manager's going to be missing for the next game. I do think that that's the case, but it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf in a way where Klopp's been probably the most vocal person on the whole topic in terms of too many games played in the festive period. Um, we've got like five, six absentees, forgetting that every single club has the same amount pretty much. And like I've mentioned before, it's not like the virus is discriminating one team, although you would think that at times. Um, but it affects every single team. And I know everyone kind of thinks, well, should I, should every team just kind of get on with it now? Because it, it's happening to every club. But the difficulty with this season now, and it's quite a shame because it was shaping up to be a pretty competitive season, it's the fact that it has a bit of an asterisk over it. And that's due to the fact that in most of these big games or the games that are having to be rescheduled, there's just been an unfair advantage on other teams having a long break or having half the strength side that they would have played in such a big match, um, such as like title matches where one win or a loss can take you closer or further away to the title. Um, but it's, it's a strange one, this, because obviously the criteria for allowing games to be rescheduled, this is the EFL who allowed this, whereas the Premier League might have been different. They might have been the same. I don't know. Uh, they seem to be a bit more stricter when it came to it. But I think Arsenal, they had the same situation at the start of the season when um, they played Brentford and they lost away to them. And they had majority of their first team out of that game. But I don't, I'm pretty sure the rules have kind of now changed a little bit. And obviously, like I said, the EFL are the ones who have made this decision, not the Premier League. Um, but in in Liverpool's defence, which is quite rare for me, um, I don't buy into this kind of narrative that they're waiting on Salah and Mane because the second leg's on the 20th. And most likely Salah and Mane will still be at the African Cup of Nations um, considering Senegal and Egypt are two of the favourites to actually go all the way in that competition. So I don't think it's a case of that, but I think it's just a case of so many people have been hearing Jurgen Klopp being the most vocal person and complaining pretty much when majority of, majority of the managers are understanding the situation and it is what it is. So I think it's just a case of people that are just quite... It's becoming a bit nauseating, the, the complaints, when we know that every single side are having to deal with the same same issues. But yeah, it's, it, re, the reschedule is next week anyway, so it shouldn't make too much of a huge difference. But Salah and Mane not being there is going to be a massive blow for them regardless. Yeah, there's no doubt, Marley, that people have picked up on the fact that Mo Salah and Sadio Mane are now unavailable due to the Africa Cup of Nations. And there are some suggestions that that's played a part in Liverpool asking for the postponement. Are you with Joel? Do you think that's just fans being a little bit tongue-in-cheek or is it in Liverpool's interest to, you know, maybe kick the can down the road a little bit so they can get their best players back? Because there's no doubt that they're a weaker team without Salah and Mane. Um, it's, it's impossible to, to say really, but, you know, it is, it's a convenient time. But it probably is. I don't. I don't not believe them. Like I still think they would try and play the game. If if Salah and Mane were were here and everybody else had COVID, then I still feel like they they would try and play. I think both goalkeepers they've got are, 
have both got COVID. So unless you're going to play James Milner in goal and hope Mane and Salah can score six goals when you concede five through James Milner being a bit crap in goal, I think it's uh, kind of a, a moot point, really. So, mm. um, Well, it's almost like, like what you mentioned before, your team, when against Manchester United, Alain Samaxaman limps off, Callum Wilson possibly does a knee, Ryan Fraser ends up getting subbed off due to injury. It's almost like, you know, the rev- not the reverse, but very akin to what people accuse Newcastle of. Oh, it's convenient that their next game against Southampton's called off when they've lost these players due to injury. But it's just with COVID thrown into the mix, you're going to see situations like this. And the team on the receiving end are always going to feel hard done by because they want effectively to play against you when you haven't got your best players because it gives them the best chance of winning. So for me, is it just all about, you know, the apple of your eye, really? It's about who wants what <laughs> effectively? Yeah, probably, yeah, because, you know, people are talking like on the, the Newcastle thing, like, oh, well, you know, oh, isn't it good how Wilson and St. Maximan have, have all of a sudden got injured? It's like, yeah, but that's what tipped us over the edge of, of not having players available. Like, we had loads of lads with COVID, and then Hayden, Wilson, Fraser, and St. Maximan all got injured at the same time. So that took us from, like, 16 fit players to 12, and that, that was under the threshold. So sometimes things just happen, and, you know, as, as you say, you know, football's very tribalistic, and it's like, well, we want to play... Liverpool without Mane and Salah and and maybe Fabinho and and Van Dijk as well, but you know it doesn't doesn't work like that. Um, it it it's just a situation that will have to be sort of um, monitored, sort of ad hoc. Like you can't say you'll definitely won't play them this week, and you'll you'll definitely get a postponement because players might start returning negative tests. So you know it's um it's. It's just a, it's like an ongoing target, and it won't be the first time as well. Like you'll probably see it in a couple of weeks' time when uh, Man City have an outbreak because they're probably due one at the minute, and seven players go down, and then people will be moaning that they've still got a sick team and um, like an amazing side, and they've got too much money, so it'll all just rumble on even more. Do you think there's been a precedent set though, Marley, with this? Now that we've come to a a point of the season where we know that there's a certain criteria that needs to be met for games to be called off. It almost feels like, you know, every club has a precedent now to call games off because it's happened before. Whereas I've seen some people like Gary Neville on social media, for example, suggesting that teams just need to get on with it. Just stick your youth team out. Um, Every club allegedly has 30 or 40 players to pick from, including under 23 players who more often than not are on professional contracts. And I know it's, probably slightly more tetchy than that due to the the financial stakes at play here when it comes to winning games and where you place in the Premier League and getting through in cup competitions and stuff. But do you think that there is an argument for for those that say just get on with it? Um not so much initially yes, but then you then you look into it and you probably you start thinking like I don't as a neutral I don't want to see um, Everton's youth team turn up and get trounced, you know, three one or four one or five one by you know Arsenal or Liverpool or something like that. And I think it's the Premier League is so worldwide that the TV companies don't want that either. So if you're looking at um, two teams playing and you know you want it to attract a TV audience, I think the TV companies are going to be on the side of. We'll just have the postponed game. We'll have the rearranged game and postpone this one because ultimately you want to see teams at the best because it's the richest league in the world. 
clubs are obviously looking after themselves because they want to play the best players in in the Premier League. You're never going to get a situation, I don't think, where you you you've put half your under twenty threes team out because there'd be hell on. There'd be you know there'd be just arguments backwards and forwards. Every it'd be a right mess. But um, it's just I just don't think it's ever going to happen. We're we're almost seeing it in in Spain a little bit now. I was watching them. Um, well, I had my eye on the Barcelona game last night, and Barcelona have got 15 players out with COVID and injuries at the minute. Um, they went away and played a uh, played a, a Copa del Rey game last night, um, and were sort of okay at the back, and then they had no strikers left, so they had to just play three lads that I've I've never heard of: uh, Ferran Jutgla, Ilias Akamach, um, and Nico Gonzalez, and they ended up like. Going one nil down to a to a, the Spanish division, Spanish League One team basically, um, and ended up having to bring Usman Dembele and Frankie De Jong off the bench and rescuing it. So I don't know what they're doing in other countries, but for me, it's better to just postpone because we have still got the time at the minute. Like we've not got the World Cup right on the back of the season. We can extend into uh, later May and, and early June if we absolutely need to, um, but we're not at that point yet. We've only got a few games so far this um postponed and, and needing rearranging so let's just carry on for a bit and see what it's like um when everyone can get the first teams out or something close to it yeah well that second semi-final of the Carabao Cup between Liverpool and Arsenal is being called off tonight so no game for Arsenal this evening they've also had to stomach a £20,000 fine from the FA for failing to control their players in that recent Premier League defeat to Manchester City of which Rodri scored a last minute goal and those at the Emirates weren't too happy um, about that and understandably so with the context of that game but yeah it's not been a great day or so for Arsenal that has to be said but that game will be rearranged there was the other semi-final that took place last night though between two London sides Chelsea and Spurs and Tottenham didn't exactly cover themselves in glory they lost 2-0 we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the podcast from Sports Social, which brings you a new episode every single day of the Premier League season. We are part of the Sports Social Podcast Network as well. And to find that, just head to our website, sport-social.co.uk. And when you get on the homepage, just click the podcast tab at the top of your screen and you'll be taken to our full roster of brilliant sport podcasts. There's something for everyone, pretty much every sport and every Premier League club covered as well on that page and you can find all of those podcasts via your usual podcast platform so that's the sports social podcast network time to talk about last night's Carabao Cup semi-final the one that actually did take place because of course Liverpool versus Arsenal is off tonight Chelsea beat Tottenham by two goals to nil and the damage was done in the first half and some would arguably say the damage was done in the first 10 to 15 minutes it was a calamitous return for Antonio Conte as he made his first return to Stamford Bridge since he left the club um, of course he was formerly a Chelsea manager and won the league there but Spurs were just shambolic in the first half defensively they were all at sea for the first goal absolute carnage for the second goal it was an own goal from Davis and Antonio Conte Joel says there's a lot to work on and going off of last night's display you can see why he said that yeah and it's not the first time he said that either uh, after the FC Mora game I think that was his first real 
shock of how much work he has to do with that side because every other side that he's actually been to, for example, Juventus and Chelsea, they were all pretty much ready-made, I would say, to go and fight for it. Obviously, there were the, the individual ad- adjustments that he actually improved. But with this Tottenham side, his comments at the end of the game pretty much painted the whole picture of how much of a job he realises he's got. And I think it's more so just to put pressure on Daniel Levy a little bit um, because that first half with the defensive mistakes, especially the second goal, which was just one out of the Chuckle Brothers book, that one, in terms of it was a, it was a free kick that had no danger whatsoever. And it was almost like they were trying to sabotage their own game with the way they tried to clear that out. And it was just the story of the game for Tottenham. They just they couldn't build from the back at all and the quality between the two sides was just night and day in terms of how good Chelsea were and just how much improvement Tottenham actually need um but i think the i think the main issue for spurs and i think it's not been tended to for a while is that the defense which pochettino had coached for such a long time which was you know toby alderweireld Jan Vertonghen and Kieran Trippier and obviously Dan- Danny Rose when he was pretty much at his peak. That's pretty much not being replaced at all. Obviously, Davinson Sanchez was the, the big money signing and he ha- I don't think he's lived up to expectation as much as everybody thought. But they've still got to replace majority of, majority of that defence, which took them pretty far, obviously, to a Champions League final. Um, and I think that's the main area that Conte is going to be really diving into when he gets to January but you know like he said at the end of the game one transfer window isn't going to fix the issues that they have it's going to take many many more and it's the thing that we talked about yesterday in yesterday's podcast which was I I think everyone's quite unsure with how far Levy's willing to go for Conte in terms of improving the side because looking at yesterday's game they were just so disjointed at the back um, it didn't feel like a solid back three at all. It wasn't characteristic of a Conte back three, which was very organised. Um, many leaders at the back who each know each individual role. They just seemed like they were free roaming out there and not very confident in possession because Chelsea's press was so intense constantly. Uh, and Conte, you know, he, he acknowledged that at the end of the game that Chelsea are just a way better side. But the reason they are a better side is because Thomas Tuchel's a year and a half into his project and he's been backed massively and he was also inherited a side who Frank Lampard had spent over 150 million on in terms of signing so the difference is night and day but I definitely wouldn't rule out a Conte side going into a second leg just because we know what he's like in terms of two-legged ties and I think going into the game um, at Tottenham I think we'll see a different Tottenham side but I mean if we see the same defensive setup then it's game over already because they were really really poor yeah they didn't look good there is a lot to work on as Antonio Conte said do you think they can respond Marley do you think they will respond under Antonio Conte particularly in the second leg I'm talking about because they've got Chelsea again in a Premier League game they face each other three times before the end of this month so they're going to get used to each other pretty quickly so you know to lose 2-0 in the first leg you know it's it's almost as if Tottenham once again are going to fall short in a cup competition and that will that will hurt for the fans uh yeah well he he did go for it last night I looked at you know when the teams came out he, he went as strong as he could um so it was a case of like you know, Spurs getting to the last four and, and actually going for something, really going for something, because it hasn't always been the case over the last 
decade or so that Spurs haven't always sort of really, really, really gone for cup competitions. But Conte's probably thinking, this is a great chance to get some silverware and end this little curse that everybody's talking about and uh, bottle jobs and Spursy and all the rest of it. So let's go for this one. And, you know, as luck would have it, um, they just kept making the same mistakes. I mean, the the Davis goal wasn't the first time um, that they'd cleared the ball into each other and they were making a mess of it at the back. I think it happened 10 minutes before that or something when um, the ball bounced at Hoiberg and he tried to clear it and he smacked it straight into Oliver Skip's ankles and it bounced to Havertz and he was one-on-one with the goalie from a tight angle. Um, and Lloris had to make a decent save, so... It's just, I think it was unlucky, to be fair. Um, they were poor, but the goals they conceded were were unlucky um, because of the just the way they, they occurred. I mean, the, the interception was brilliant from Alonso for the first goal, but Tanganga's pass was always looked too short, and then he got cut out with the through ball from Alonso when, when he was running through with it, uh, which he probably shouldn't have. Um, and even the finish deflecting off to Vincent Sanchez, I don't, don't know if that was going in or not, but... Um, they can they they can't be worse than that. That's a, that's a positive I think for for Spurs. I don't think they can be that bad again. And if they are, it wouldn't require such bad luck for them to to concede those goals like that. You know how many times do you see deflections in the box land to to defenders rather than attackers? It, it happens a lot because they're generally outnumbered. But just happens that this one flew into the back of the net. So, um. Conte is is too good a manager to let that happen again. Um, so we'll have to see what what he comes up with because I think this is almost like the perfect time if you play a team twice before the crunch game. Like they're not out the they're not out of the Carabao Cup yet. They're on the verge, but they can still have a look at Chelsea in the league game and this ninety minutes as well, and then go into the third game which they need to win to get to the final. Um, having looked at the same team for 180 minutes and maybe work something out like an avenue to to exploit or a certain tactic they can employ to to try and get a result. But it's a lot of work to do because Chelsea seem to be coming out of that uh, that little poor patch um, and they look to be getting players back and, and getting stronger rather than, than still stagnating. So it'll be a tough ask for, for Spurs to reach a final. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea have one foot in the final, don't they really? I, I can't see Tottenham beating Chelsea by three goals to do it in normal time um, without reply. I, I just I just can't see it with the way Chelsea have been defensively. Um, I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast this week, but Thiago Silva, in case you missed it, has actually signed a one-year contract extension at Chelsea. So he'll be there until beyond his 38th birthday. And Thomas Tuchel called him the Benjamin Button of football. Um, obviously, if you've not seen that movie, Benjamin Button ages in reverse and you know, Thiago Silva's come into the league in his late 30s and has become one of the best central defenders we've got in the division, in my opinion. Um, as for the situation at Chelsea, we can talk about Thomas Tuchel and the way he's dealt with the Lukaku situation. It's dominated our podcast over the last two or three days, Joel, but we were wondering whether he would play last night. He did. He did get some game time. Is that the situation dealt with now? As long as Lukaku doesn't do any more interviews in Italy, then yeah, it is. Um, I think this is the only situation and decision that Tuchel had to take because there would have been even more eyes on the situation had Tuchel left him on the bench or left him out the side. The headlines would just be 
Lukaku, the cameras were being fixated on him all game. And I think I noticed after the game, there literally wasn't any talk about him whatsoever. It was mainly just about Tottenham's awful defence and Conte's comments after the game. So Tuchel, Tuchel's not a stupid guy. I mean, he's managed bigger egos than that at Paris Saint-Germain where he had you know, literally every superstar going at that side and he managed them really well, to be fair. And I was quite surprised he got sacked from them. But he's he's been there and he's done that and he knows how to manage these situations and he's talked a lot about it, but he talked very briefly and bluntly, but he's, he's water under the bridge now. The only person who can silence that is Lukaku himself. And he has to now prove to his teammates, as well as the fans, that he's still got the determination and still wants to fight for his pl- for his place in the club to be honest because when he was at Inter Milan he was the guy he was the Adriano in the modern era for them in terms of leading the line he was the face of Milan um brought back the Scudetto for the first time in 10 years and then suddenly he finds himself in Chelsea and he doesn't get that kind of um that leeway anymore he's just another member of the side and if he doesn't perform he'll be on the bench and I think he's realized and for for me with that interview I think he realized that the grass isn't always greener and although I feel as though he was a little bit swayed and misled in that interview in terms of once the domino started he just carried on to appease the the interviewer a little bit um, it is nipped in the bud and I think from now until the end of the season it's in Lukaku's best interest to raise his game for Chelsea because they've invested a hell of a lot of money in him. A hundred million is no small amount and I'm sure he's on one of the biggest contracts Chelsea have ever handed out in the club's history and Tuchel's relying on him. He's he's bought him for a reason for that amount of money. It's, it's not just a small small change that they've gone into the market to buy he's he's a big player in that side and in the future of their club um I do wonder what will happen in the summer though just because I know that it's very circumstantial in terms of Lukaku's comments of the system that's been played and how he's not really happy at the moment it did seem very current problems it doesn't seem like a very long-term thing I'm sure that if there's an upturn in his game and an upturn in his goals, then we'll see a different side to him. But with the way that Tuchel wants to play, and it's been known for a long time how he wants to play, he's not going to change his side for one player. He didn't do that at Paris Saint-Germain with Mbappe, Neymar, etc., etc., and he won't do that at Chelsea. So I'll be so I'm interested to see how it plays out because he's not going to mould the, the side to him, which is quite surprising as well if you spend that amount of money on a player. But um, I do wonder if he will try and force a move in the summer, but I think it just depends on his success at the club this season and um, how he actually moulds to that role that Tuchel wants him to play. Yeah, it certainly is an interesting one with Romelu Lukaku, but it feels like, as Joel says, that that's almost now been and gone and hopefully there are no more issues from a Chelsea perspective for Romelu Lukaku there were some suggestions that he could even be on his way to Spurs in the January transfer window and it is transfers we'll be talking about next we'll do it after this here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to the show. Time to talk transfers now. My name's Niall. I've got Joel and Marley alongside me. And who better to speak to than Marley Anderson? Because it looks like his team, Newcastle United, have signed Kieran Trippier. He arrived at the training ground yesterday for a medical. It looks like it's all signed, sealed, delivered, Marley. We're just waiting for the announcement. Unless I've missed it, um, it looks like he is going to become a Newcastle United player very, very soon. He's an England international, bags of experience in the Premier League. Just how good a signing is this for Newcastle United, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great signing, obviously. Um, I think with when you start splashing the cash, it's uh, it's all about who you sign first because it sort of sets a precedent um, of what type of, of player you can attract um, and going out and getting an England international for um, for a decent fee is, is a great start and especially like six days into the window, um, it, I mean, our business needed to start sooner rather than later, and and it has. Um, this deal's been wrapped up pretty quickly. When as soon as the window opened, I think he played for Atletico last weekend, and it was his last game. Um, he always fancied the move, uh, and it was it's great because he's better than everything we've got, and he he brings a, an attitude and professionalism as well off the pitch, which hopefully will uh, will sort of seep into the the rest of the squad and um, and hopefully improve our league position rapidly because he's, he's as I said he's way better than anything we've got and he's better than most right backs in the league you would say with his with his pedigree and his experience and all the things he's done in the game he's worked for Eddie Howe before as I mentioned on a podcast before Christmas he, he um, Eddie Howe signed him for, for Burnley in 2011 I think it was um, so there's a relationship there that they can build on um, and I think it's uh, it's very good a good start to our window. Why do you think he's come to Newcastle, Marley? Money. It's a bit of a loaded question. I was, <laughs> I was wondering your take because there was some, some real discussion and debate yesterday in the football world as to why Kieran Trippier has joined Newcastle. Yeah, it's 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 a massive part of it. Of course, it is because that's what pays your bills. You know that he's thirty one, thirty two, almost. Um, and he's looking for probably his last big contract before he's sort of seen as you know too far gone and past the hill and over the hill sort of thing um but I think when you get to your early 30s and you've had the career trip he has had um he's been to the Champions League final he's won La Liga he's played in huge games in Spain he's experienced different leagues um he's been he's came through sort of a a good academy in, in Man City before they got the cash um or just as they got the cash really uh, so he was never really going to make it through there went down dropped down the league went to burnley um then to tottenham then to um on to uh, atletico madrid so he's kind of been around and and done every sort of level of club um he's not uh, he's not a player that's just been at elite clubs and been in the team all the time because those types of players just tend to move purely for for money so i think when you get to like 31 32 you especially coming from Atletico Madrid, you're looking for the next sort of challenge. You're looking for the who, who can pay you the most. Well, well, who can pay you enough? Uh, and also, wh- where's that balance between money and challenge? Because if he was going for the money, he could he could have gone probably somewhere else. He probably could have stayed at Atletico on, on just as much money, but maybe not been as, as happy with uh, sort of being homesick and coming back to England or what have you. But... I think when you get to that age, you you are looking for a challenge as well. Um, and if you look around the Premier League, no one's gonna, none of the top four or top six are gonna sort of um, take a chance on a on a right back who's past thirty 
to to be their long-term thing. I think he was linked with Man United a little while ago, but I feel like that was just more paper talk than anything, and uh, the money that it would cost would was putting them off. Um, and Atletico probably wouldn't want to sell to Man United anyway because they're in the same competitions usually um, in terms of the Champions League and things like that. So I think when you look down the league, you're looking at sort of, is he going to go to a team that's chasing the top six? Um, possibly not because they're, you know, the, the standard of the top six is so high and the top four and even the top three at the minute is so high that there's no guarantees of, you know, you might get into the Europa League or you might get into the Conference League. Um, and that's, I don't think that's as big a, a bigger challenge and bigger sort of turn on as coming and being part of something completely from scratch. Like this, nobody knows how Newcastle are going to, are going to progress in the next two or three years, but it might well be um, more fun than playing for a team like Crystal Palace in mid-table or Brighton who might finish 11th. And, you know, it's it's not it's not as much of a turn-on for players, I don't think. Um, whereas getting paid a handsome amount, being put, playing in a big city um, as a northern lad as well with Kieran Trippier, he's, he's, from, he's from Manchester, you know, he knows about the, the sort of Newcastle scene. He's not one of these, I have to go back to London sort of players. Um, and he's he's probably fancies it and I just think it, it all adds up for him um, and even on the basis of when when these sort of links were first made in sort of September, October time a lot of people were like well, what, well why, like what does he fancy and it's like well he wants to come back to England and he wants probably wants a project and a payday and I think we tick all three boxes whereas a lot of other clubs don't I think it's a great first signing Newcastle and their new regime someone who's known across the Premier League and now in La Liga and across Europe as well someone who's performed regularly for England um, I think that it's a really good signing Kieran Trippier is pretty much a done deal for Newcastle he'll be their first new signing under the new ownership there's also some other big names being linked from the continent one of them is Felipe Coutinho not for the first time he's been linked with a Premier League move Joel since he left Liverpool it seems like almost every transfer window after that he's been linked with a return to English football Spurs Arsenal they've all been linked the latest club is Aston Villa they're allegedly monitoring Felipe Coutinho's situation it's suggested that Barcelona are absolutely desperate to move him on getting his wages off of their wage bill. They've not been able to register Ferran Torres since they signed him from Manchester City uh, a week or so ago due to the fact there's too many players on too high a wage and they need to get rid of some of them. One of them is Coutinho. Can you see this one happening? Because obviously Steven Gerrard's the Aston Villa manager. They played together at Liverpool. Who knows whether this one could go ahead? What do you think? Yeah, when I saw this, it just made me realise how bad Barcelona have been run this last few years. Like, let's not forget... They paid, what, $130 million for him just around three or four years ago, and now he's being linked to Aston Villa. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a baffling one, but as soon as I saw it, I thought that this would be the perfect signing for Liverpool, just because, obviously, they have Salah and Mane out until potentially uh, start of February. They have a big congestion of the fixtures if they keep getting games rescheduled. I would have thought that he would have slotted in nicely for the next six months just because he knows the club, he knows the system. Um, but, I mean, if, if Aston Villa can pull that off, that is a massive coup. He kind of fits the role that Grealish has left in terms of that free-roll, creative player who can obviously chip in with a lot of goals. And um, It's not like... Obviously, he's not the same player that Liverpool let go of. He's been 
pretty stagnant in these last three years. Obviously, he had that loan spell at Bayern Munich uh, two years ago, and he didn't do much there. I think that was under Ancelotti, or was it Nico Kovac? But it wasn't a great loan spell. Um, and obviously, a Barcelona is probably probably been the most expensive mistake they've made in their history. I would say. Um, 130 million on him and he's not nowhere near hit the heights that he did at Liverpool um, so Liverpool can probably pat themselves on the back in terms of the amount of investment that they've been able to put in just from that massive transfer alone but if if I'd be surprised if he does end up going to Aston Villa just because it seems very surreal to have a player of his stature be able to just go to a team obviously Aston Villa are not a small club but I mean I would have thought that he would have gone to a team who were, you know, around the top four, like a Tottenham side or, you know, even potentially Liverpool just as a, a little emergency option. But if if Aston Villa can do that, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting a good amount of goals and becoming a really good fixture for that team. Because like I said, it just feels, feels like a, a glove fit replacement for Grealish just in terms of the way he plays and the the creativity that maybe Aston Villa have been lacking in these last recent months but I would be surprised and another team that I think would be a great fit for him would be um, Arsenal as well just in terms of the way they play and um, the technical ability he has he could slot into that side very nicely um, and definitely would boost their top four ambitions but I'm sure his salary is going to be pretty monstrous and any side who takes him on is going to have to you know take the forefront of that but I think it'd be a good uh, investment for any side because of course like I said he's not the same player that he was at Liverpool but he still definitely has a lot to offer especially for a side like Aston Villa yeah definitely Aston Villa are a richer club I think than people realise as well so um, Felipe Coutinho has that link with Liverpool, has that link with Steven Gerrard. Could we see him arriving at Villa Park this January? That would certainly be um, a big move in the context of the Premier League. And finally, we're going to talk about Juventus and Aaron Ramsey, a player we've spoken about loads of times on Football Social Daily, particularly over the last two or three transfer windows. He's now been labelled an outgoing player by Juventus manager Max Allegri. He rejected an offer from a Premier League club on Tuesday. You'll enjoy this, Marley. The offer he rejected was from Burnley. <laughs> I did I, so. <laughs> I did see this yesterday and I did laugh out loud that Burnley are like, yeah, yeah, come to us. And he's just like, no. You can't blame Burnley for chance in their arm. I'm sure Sean Dyche yeah. would have been like, come on, lad, come and play for us. Um, he said no. He wants to play for, no disrespect to Burnley, a club higher up in the table. So where does he go? Will he swap the black and white stripes of Juventus for the black and white stripes of Newcastle? Imagine that. Imagine saying... Well, sort of alluding that you want to play higher and then go into a team lower than Burnley. <laughs> um, look, I'd I'd love to have him. I think he's, I think he's a very very good player, and he's still got a lot to offer. Um, similar in in ways to Trippier, you know, he's still still good. He's done with his abroad trip. Um, he's he's tried something new. It hasn't fully worked out. Nowhere near as well as Trippier's move did, for example, but. Um, he's still got a lot to offer. He's still only early thirties, and uh, I think he he just needs a needs a home, needs to be loved. I think when he I always remember when he was at Arsenal, when he was in and out of the team, he could never have um, as much of an impact. But when he was in the team and sort of they put him in his right position and loved him a bit, he was uh, he was superb, and he we had a really good goal record um, and assists and all the rest of it. He was a proper all round player, but. Um, he hasn't had that in the last couple of years of his career. The Juventus move hasn't worked. 
um, and he wants to come back to the Premier League. So again, it's it's similar to what I said before. Does he want a project and, and a payday, or does he want to try and get back to Arsenal, where he probably won't get as many games because they've got you know Odegaard, Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, all all doing pretty well. Um, and they, they seem to be turning the corner. So would he go there? No. Would he go to Spurs? No, because of the Arsenal thing. Would he go to Chelsea? No. Would he go to Man United? I don't think they'd be interested. Um, City and, and obviously Liverpool aren't aren't going to be interested. So again, it's that thing of who's the next who's the next sort of team below that? Do you go to, do you try and get to like an Everton or a Leicester or something like that? Or do you come... Um, to somewhere where may have a bit more money, like Newcastle, and a bit, a bit of a long-term plan. But it's up to him. I don't know whether he's don't know what he's what he's thinking in his head. I don't know whether he's um, he's got a destination in mind that he's going to try and get back to, or whether it's just a a case of who bids highest. Because if it does come down to that, you would back uh, Newcastle with a, a nominal fee wanted by Juventus. Uh, in the the rest of this month. Yeah, definitely Aaron Ramsey is someone I could see returning to the Premier League. There's been a couple of other signings as well. Wolves have signed their first ever Japanese player. Uh, His name is Hayao Kawabe. Brighton have also signed a highly rated Polish international, Kasper Kozłowski, who is almost a Polish wonder kid. He was the youngest ever player to play in a European championship when he turned out for Poland in the summer so there's been some moving and shaking already Joel do you think that we'll see far more signings by the end of the month we're only six days in and already some clubs have strengthened uh, potentially maybe this Covid situation is forcing teams to gain some reinforcements potentially because they think that um, it might rumble on for the next few months and they don't want to have to keep dipping into the youth side and pushing you know an under 18 player out into the bus to part a performance in a pretty high pressured game um, but yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of movement going on. And I think as we've seen in previous January transfer windows or just in windows in general, uh, obviously the prices have been ridiculous, but I think it started to come to a normal level now just because every team acknowledges that every other team doesn't have the money that they used to, obviously unless you're Newcastle or unless you're Manchester City. But um I think that, yeah, the, the current situation will definitely influence things going forward, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't put my money on these 90 million, 80 million signings because a lot of players at the moment, there seems to be a big trend going towards free transfers and majority of the high quality players at the moment can actually sign a pre-contract in January. So I wouldn't be surprised to see many of those this summer. Uh, sorry, this January, uh, in contrast to actually big transfers. But I think the biggest movers in January are definitely going to be um, Newcastle and, and potentially Tottenham, um, just because they're the two sides who I think need the most care given to their sides at the moment in terms of getting their ambitions, which is obviously relegation, survival for Newcastle and uh, top four hosts for Tottenham. I think they both just need that push to actually get there. But I don't expect massive multi-million pound signings for sure. Okay, we'll wait and see. January still very, very early. We'll keep you up to date as well as we can here on Football Social Daily. So hit that subscribe button and that way you won't miss all of the latest when it comes to the big news in the Premier League. There is no Premier League action this weekend. It is the FA Cup third round. Regardless, though, we'll still have the dugout. What we will do is we'll get a player's view on the situations in the Premier League this week. What are the players thinking when it comes to Romelu Lukaku? 
most controversial interview and what is it really like travelling to a lower league side in the FA Cup? We'll get the answers from Trevor Stephen and Dean Hammond on this week's edition of The Dugout. That will be released on Friday night. But Joel, Marley, thanks for your company. That's it for today's Football Social Daily and we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.